Oftentimes, you and I need to take an inventory of who we are and how we are. You know, and when you see God saying, okay, I'm going to make sure I know exactly who I have and what's going on here, it reminds us that God wants us to learn the art of life in Christ. But we play a role in that by being aware of who we are, how we are. When was the last time you took a moment to take stock of yourself, how you're doing loving others, where you are with the Lord? What areas are you growing in or struggling with? Well, today, Pastor Daniel begins this series called Preparation by encouraging you to be prepared. You'll learn that God wants to do a great work as you learn to walk with Him. Your honest and humble self-awareness is a great starting point for what God wants to do. Now here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Numbers, chapter 26, as he begins his message, The Second Census. All right, let's open up in your Bibles to the book of Numbers, chapter 26. Numbers, chapter 26, as we continue our study here through the Bible, starting a brand new series, the last series we're going to be doing here in the book of Numbers. And really in Numbers chapter 26, it really begins kind of the last section of the Pentateuch or the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Traditionally, it was known as the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The reason I say that this begins really the last section in the entire book is because now the children of Israel are on the edge of the promised land. And everything that goes on from Numbers 26 through the end of the book of Deuteronomy, it's like all of this is going to take place over the course of about 30 to 40 days in the life of the children of Israel. And then they're going to be going into the promised land led by Joshua. So you have a whole bunch of details that you get at the end of the book of Numbers, and then Moses retells the entire law again. So if you've traveled with us through Exodus, through Leviticus, and through the laws of Numbers, guess what? We're going to do it again, you know? Go back, and why is that? You have to think about it. Educational theory would tell us that what is the greatest teacher? Repetition. You say something, you say again, all you parents know what that's like. How many of you have told your kids more than once to do something? Yeah, all of you, right? And they still don't do it, but hopefully they're learning, right? And so God not only gives them the law, but before it's time for Moses to go the way of all humanity and go home to be with the Lord and pass everything, the leadership of Israel over to Joshua, he tells them again, this is what God desires. It's a little amplified in the book of Deuteronomy, but we'll get there at some juncture. So, and I'd say that, some of you start laughing because you know it, this takes a little while. But I'm here to tell you that Numbers 26, as a Bible teacher, it's not exactly the most exciting text because literally it's the second census of the children of Israel in the book of Numbers. You got a census in Numbers chapter one to four. That's why it's called Numbers. And now you get another census, which is 
when you think of a census, it's just like when they count all the people in America. You know what I mean? It's a listing of who's there and why. So we need to study this, though, because nothing is in the Bible by chance. There's always a reason and a purpose. And so one of the things that you'll learn if you're a student of the Bible is that you always need to ask yourself two questions when it comes to the Bible. What does it mean and what is its meaning? What does it mean? And you, listen, you should write this down. This is a good nugget. When you're reading your Bible, you say, what does it mean and what is its meaning? What does it mean? The driving question of that is, what did the original author want the original hearers to understand? Right? It's like, this text means something. It's there for a reason. The Holy Spirit inspired, whether it's Moses or whoever was the person who wrote this down, to write it down, and there's a reason. So we want to draw out, what did the original author intend the original hearers of this to understand? That's what it means. And then its meaning is, because we are part of the family of God today, if you are born again and you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, this has a local application for us right now. And that's its meaning. It's like, what does it mean for me and my life today? Right? And you realize, and as we've been studying through the Old Testament together, what we realize is that because of the finished work of Jesus, it's what it meant from the original to the original hero was one thing. But then because of the fulfillment of Jesus, its meaning for us is unique. Right? Like when we saw all the different sacrifices... Literally, the original author wanted the original hearers to say, this is how you do the Levitical priesthood. This is what worship looked like in the life of the children of Israel. But then you add in the finished work of Jesus and his blood that was shed for the remission of sins. And that text does not mean now we need to go collect a bunch of animals and I'm going to get my butcher suit on and we're going to do this whole big thing. It doesn't mean that. It means something different for us in our lives. And so... What's interesting about a long list of tribes and names, what it means for the children of Israel is that 39 years have passed as they've been wandering in the wilderness, and really this list shows the faithfulness of God. It shows that although a generation has died in the wilderness, God is faithful to preserve his people. And so Although the whole generation who left Egypt, except for Joshua and Caleb, they all died, but still God was faithful to preserve his people. And so one of the overarching lessons that you're going to find is that God is faithful. God said that he was going to maintain the people, even though a generation who was rebellious died in the wilderness, and God was going to bring his people into the promised land, and he's doing it. And this list is God's faithfulness. Now, at the same time, what does it mean for us? We're going to see lots of little things. I'm going to pull out some little nuggets for you through this. But one of the things I think we want to put out there up front is that oftentimes we forget that God takes an inventory of who are his. And I think sometimes we're a little too spiritual for that. You know what I mean? Like we think like there's something wrong with that. When really... When you have a large family, you keep an inventory on them. Some of you have many grandkids, right? And like you try and keep tabs on them. Where are they? And really, God keeps tabs on his family. 
There's one time in the Bible that King David gets in trouble for taking a census because he wants to trust in his army. And that was his mistake. He wanted to know how big his army was so he can go to war and he can take care of business, right? And God gets upset with him about that because God didn't want that from him. But as long as your motives are not impure, God has no problem with us keeping an inventory of where things are. And if we think about it from an application, when was the last time you took an inventory of your spiritual life? When was the last time you said, how am I really doing? What does prayer look like in my life? What does Bible study look like? What does taking time away in the presence of the Lord look like? How is, if I were to rate how I love people, is my love self-centered? Is it selfish? How's my speech? Is it full of grace, seasoned with salt? Or is there a bunch of flesh in there? See, oftentimes you and I need to take an inventory of who we are and how we are. You know, and when you see God saying, okay, I'm going to make sure I know exactly who I have and what's going on here, it reminds us that God wants us to learn the art of life in Christ. But we play a role in that by being aware of who we are, of how we are. You're going to see in this list some of the tribes have grown. One in particular has been decimated so much smaller than it was 39 years. And there's a reason for that. And so we want to, you want, and I want to be able to see growth spiritually over time. We should be able to look at our lives and say, wow, look at how this has changed. Look at how this has changed. Look at what God has done here. Look at how that thing that I used to struggle with, I don't struggle with anymore. But I got this new thing now because... As you well know, the layers of your heart are like peeling back layers of an onion. There's always another layer, and they always come with tears. So we're all in process, and God's always doing work. But we should be able to see God doing something over time. Because there are certain lessons that are for certain seasons. So with all that being said, it's a pretty long chapter. There's 65 verses there's lots of uh, biblical names in it. And as you guys know, I always joke that they teach you when you're preaching that you say the name like you know how it's supposed to sound. And even if you mangle it, everyone will just think you know what you're talking about. So I'm sure I'm going to mangle some of these names and you might syllabify them differently. And if I said it again, I'd probably syllabify it differently as well. But with the biblical names, I always tell you this because this is true, that the Semitic languages of Hebrew in the accent always goes on the last syllable, okay? That's the big difference. In the Romance languages, the emphasis, the accent's on the first symbol. Like my name, you say Daniel. In Hebrew, it'd be Danielle, okay? That's the big difference. And so I know some of you are like shaking your head like, yeah, that's just not going to happen normally, and it's not. So I'm probably going to still syllabify everything on the first syllable because that's how I'm used to speaking. But when you're reading those names, every once in a while you hear me catch it right, and you'll be like, oh, yeah, that's how it's supposed to be. But when you're reading biblical names, it's always the accent, the emphasis is on the last syllable as opposed to what we would normally do in English, which is on the first syllable. So with that being said, let's jump on in 
Numbers chapter 26, verse 1. And it came to pass after the plague that the Lord spoke to Moses and Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, saying, take a census of all the congregation of the children of Israel from 20 years old and above by their father's houses, all who are able to go to war in Israel. And so Moses and Eliezer, the priest, spoke with them in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho, saying, take a census of the people from 20 years old and above, just as the Lord commanded Moses and the children of Israel who came out of the land of Egypt. So the declaration is to take a census. Now this happened after the plague. So if you were with us a few weeks back, we found that this plague killed 20,000 people. So now they're on the border of the promised land. Notice they go through all this. They're in Moab and they're, on the, they're right on the border of Jericho by the Jordan. And so you know in the book of Joshua, the first city they run into is what? Jericho. So they're right there. They're right on the edge of the promised land. And God says, look, I want you to take another census. Notice everyone who's over the age of 20 who is able to go to war in Israel. So this is a census to determine how big is the army who is going to go into the promised land to be able to take all of the cities that God has promised the children of Israel. Now you can read all about that in the book of Joshua. The entire book is about all the different battles of the children of Israel going into the promised land. But before you go in, you figure out how big your army is. So notice it's only people over the age of 20. So only the men who were able to go to war, okay? And so it's a, it doesn't give you all the numbers. It gives you a specific subsection of it. And then going forward, what you end up having is you have all of these tribes. We do them each one by tribe. As we've seen before in God's word, it's almost like it's, there's a very specific tempo of what it does. It's this tribe from this thing, and you can hear a lot of repetition. And one of the things I like about the repetition that you're going to hear is that if you find something that works, you don't need to reinvent the wheel every time. You know, it's like God doesn't feel like this insecurity that every time he does something, it needs to be completely unique. He's got to find a new way to do it. There's a way to get this information across. It's efficient. It gets the job done, and God likes it. And God isn't worried about being like, oh, God, you sound like a broken record. And in some ways, I think in our culture, our culture that has so many options, I think a lot of us kind of fall into the trap of we're always trying to reinvent the wheel when you really have a good way of doing something, and it works really good, but we kind of feel like it's wrong just to do it the same way over and over again. So for those of you who are highly structured and repetitious, feel encouraged for those of you who make yourself a little crazy trying to find new and improved ways of doing everything, maybe you already have a great way to do it and just keep doing it that way, amen? Okay, verse five, the tribe of Reuben. Look at what it says. Reuben was the firstborn of Israel. The children of Reuben were Hanak, the family of the Hanakites of Paolo, the family of the Paolites of Hezron, the family of the Hezronites of Carmi, the family of the Carmites. These are the families of the Reubenites. Those who were numbered of them were 43,730. The sons of Paolo were Eliab, Dathan, and Abiram. These are the Dathan and Abiram, representatives of the congregation who contended against Moses and Aaron in the company of Korah when they contended against the Lord 
the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up together with Korah when the company died, when the fire devoured 250 men and they became a sign. Nevertheless, the children of Korah did not die. So the first one, of course, is Jacob's firstborn, Reuben. Always in almost all the lists he's given the first place. Remember, in that culture, there was the right of the firstborn. They received a double portion of their father's inheritance. They were given preference to take over as the patriarch of the family. So we know, and if you've studied through the book of Genesis with us, that Reuben doesn't have that distinction in the way God passed down his blessings from Abraham, Isaac, Isaac to Jacob. You realize in the Genesis story, Joseph and, of course, Judah end up taking precedence. Really, Joseph takes precedence, but Judah is the one who gets the promised Messiah, and we've talked about that. So if you want, go back and restudy the book of Genesis that we did many, 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 many moons ago. So you notice in this that the tribe of Reuben numbered 43,730 in the second census, which was a decrease of 2,770, which was in the first census, they were 46,500. So the tribe of Reuben lost about 6%. So the tribe got smaller. And notice in their listing, they went back and we rehash again what happened with the rebellion of Korah and these men, Dathan and Abiram. Remember, we studied that, didn't we, in Numbers chapter 16. Now, what can we learn from that? We can learn that sometimes when you do something dumb, it will be attached to your family name forever. So you know that I'm just going to say, just don't be dumb because your descendants' descendants don't want to have to remember that forever. Seriously, like, it's not, like, I say things like that, and I'm being tongue-in-cheek, but really, things exist long after we do them, you know? And we have a lot of instances in the Bible where we are reminded of someone's story that isn't the best thing. You're like, man, they go down in history for thousands of years, many generations. People have been reading about Dathan and Abiram. You know, and so it's a reminder to think outside of yourself that you and I are part of something bigger. You are part of a family, an extended family. You're part of the human family. And we want to think about the idea of legacy, not in some sort of self-centered, egotistical way, but that everything we do lives beyond what we do and how we do it. And you need to think about what's the legacy that you're going to leave. I think at the very least, each one of us should say, God, will you allow me to leave a legacy of faith in Jesus to future generations? That people will be able to look back, man, my great, 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 great aunt and uncle, if the Lord tarries, followed hard after Jesus and transmitted their faith down into future generations. And I walk with Jesus now because of the legacy of faith that they left. And so we need, legacies are not tacked on at the end. They are hard fought and built day in and day out of our lives. You know that. 
It's not like you can just add a legacy at the end. Your legacy is the totality of your life that you pass along. And so what you do and how you and I live today really matters, doesn't it? It's part of your legacy. You're building that legacy right now. So Reuben, 6% decrease in the numbers of the tribe of Reuben. And of course, we see that there's four clans there and we get all their names. Now notice in verse 12, we go to the tribe of Simeon. The sons of Simeon, according to their families, were of Nemuel, the family of the Nemuelites, of Jamin, the family of the Jaminites, of Jekin, the family of the Jekinites, of Zerah, the family of the Zerahites, of Shuul, the family of the Shaulites. I'm just trying up here. You're saying, like, I'm not laughing at you. We're laughing with you, right? That's all right, yeah. That's all, yep. Amen. Now I'm all self-conscious. It's because of Shaulites, right? That's right. We'll tell Lynn we'll name our next one that, amen? <laughs> We're not pregnant. No, 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 no. Verse 14, these are the families of the Simeonites, 22,200. Now, if you look at the first census, the Simeonites end up, look at that number, 22,200. Do you know what their number was in the first census? 59,300. So they lost 24,000 people which is a percentage loss of 63%. Why? We found out in Numbers chapter 25 that Zimri, who was the guy who was killed by Phineas being sexually immoral with the Moabitist woman, was of the tribe of Simeon. And a lot of scholars would say that because he was of that tribe that the bulk of the people who fell because of the Council of Balaam that we saw in Numbers 25 were of the tribe of Simeon. And because this census happened right after the plague, that tribe had yet to recover from the big mistake that they had made. Wow. What's its meaning for us, brothers and sisters? Listen, sin has consequences. It, like, it legitimately has consequences. Like, you have a tribe that's lost 63% of the people. Like, unless you're talking about weight loss, losing 63% is not a good thing, right? It's, like, it's really bad. If you had an investment and you lost 63% of it, that would be bad. If you had your savings account and lost 63% of it, if you lost 63% of your income, that's a bad thing. And when you lose 63% of living souls in one tribe of people over 39 years, that's a big problem. And we have to remember that. Jesus is It's easy to get caught up in the lie that what you do or don't do doesn't really matter. But as Pastor Daniel shared today, your actions and attitudes are a legacy that you pass on to future generations. You discovered that the legacy you leave is hard fought in your day-to-day life. As you walk with the Lord and let Him shape your life, He'll transform you and impact the people around you. Pastor Daniel encouraged you to pass on a legacy of loving and serving Jesus. 
Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I just want to say thank you for tuning in. I'm so stoked you're a listener of Jesus is Real Radio, and I know Jesus has amazing plans for you. I'd love to hear the story of how God's working in your life. Give us a call here at Jesus is Real Radio at 360-256-4655 or email me at real at danielfusco.com. Thanks for joining us today for Jesus is Real Radio. Hey, I wanted to remind you that each day on Facebook, Pastor Daniel shares a simple two-minute message. In this message, Pastor Daniel draws out an important biblical truth that really helps set your day on the right path. So be sure to follow Pastor Daniel Fusco on Facebook and share these two-minute messages with your friends and family. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will encourage you to have a long view when it comes to the choices that you make. You'll be reminded that sin has consequences. This isn't meant to be a scare tactic, but to urge you to live your life with wisdom. You'll learn that God wants to help you live your life well. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called Preparation. Until then, may God bless.